0: Listener Production. Hello and welcome to the first episode of our series on attention. This episode is about why you can't pay attention. I know, I've just gone ahead and assumed that you're having trouble focusing, but I've made that assumption for two reasons. One, there's research that suggests that might be the case. And two, so I don't feel so bad about myself. See, the reason that I wanted to make this series is because I am having some real trouble paying attention and I want to work out why. Pay attention. Pay attention. Pay attention. A few years ago, I noticed something strange happening to me. I noticed that I was having trouble concentrating when reading books. I would read the same line over and over again. I noticed that I couldn't watch a film without needing to Google how it ends I noticed that I would check emails in the middle of conversations with mates. All of this felt involuntary. I was curious to see if I was the only one feeling this way, so I put a call out on Instagram. Do you have trouble paying attention? Do you have trouble focusing on a singular task? Can you watch a film in its entirety? Do you check your phone when you're talking to your friends and family? The response was massive. I have a terrible attention
1: span. Look, I became aware of my inability to pay attention, uh, really during the, the COVID lockdowns, but I don't think it was ever this bad before. I'm trying to work on not being distracted
0: when I'm having conversations with people. I don't know how to do one thing at a time. And focus solely on that. I once heard someone say that their brain
1: felt as though it was having 32 tabs open on their computer. I can't concentrate on a task for more than a few minutes.
0: My Instagram findings, while not scientifically rigorous, I
1: grant you, do mimic the research. According to one set of scientific studies, their attention span for when they're on one screen is only 47 seconds long. And that's declining. That's American journalist and
0: author Maggie Jackson.
1: People now check their phones. I just looked up the latest statistics. It was 185 times a day, you know, up to 185 times a day. It varies within the individual, of course. So distraction is often the code word for what's happening today. And distraction often is uh, defined as to be pulled away to something less important or more trivial. But actually, archaic definition of the word distraction is to be pulled in pieces uh, that came from Shakespearean times. And that's, I think, far more descriptive of what is happening to our attention spans today. They're being punctured. They're being made more and more brief. They're being uh, forced to speed up to a degree that biologically we can't handle.
0: Shout out to Shakespeare, who somehow managed to nail our distracted modern life all the way back in the 1600s. The other person who nailed it way back when was Maggie. She wrote a book called Distracted in 2008, which may not seem that long ago, but so much has changed since then, including what we know and understand about attention.
1: Attention was not fully understood. It was a total mystery scientifically, even a generation ago, Um, but there have been incredible advancements that have now shown that it's pretty much agreed that attention is a three-part system. The scientists compare it to an organ system, almost like your digestive system or your circulatory system. And these three networks in the brain uh, that comprise attention work together, although they're independent. So one is focus called orienting. It's what a baby first learns. And second is alerting or wakefulness. So I could be speaking to you and you could be half asleep. You can be focusing on me, and yet you can be sort of dulling out my, my words because of these two different but interrelated sets of attention. The third type of attention is executive attention, and that's often compared to the symphony, a kind of symphony conductor of the mind. It's how we control our attention and also, so therefore, we, how we control our minds. You
0: wrote your book in 2008, it almost felt like a different time. Looking back, are you able to go, wow, things are so much worse than what I thought they would be? Or have you have you sort of said to yourself, yeah, I pretty much saw all of this coming in 2008. How do you look back on that?
1: Well, first of all, distraction was talked about in 2008. The uh, smartphone had just come in in 2007, but people were beginning to be overwhelmed by Email, you know, which seems clunky and passe now compared to all that we have. But distraction was a seen as a marker of success. There were actually just job descriptions that would post seeking multitaskers, um, something you wouldn't find as much today, maybe you still do. Uh, but and people considered distraction to be a kind of a joke, something that was just beginning to make people feel uneasy. And yet that people really thought that this was the royal road to success in the digital age. We really didn't know. And we were coping with far more devices than in the past. I mean, it used to be only Uh, you know, 40, 50, 60% of people had smartphones. Now, of course, it's something like 95% in, in developed countries. So you just, you have a saturation point, as well as the change in the technologies themselves.
0: To say technologies have changed is an understatement. The first iPhone came out in 2007. I don't even remember what I used prior or how it even worked. That same year, I signed up to Facebook, but I did it from an internet cafe. Yeah, there were literal buildings that we went to, specifically to use computers with the internet. Now we have these computers in our pockets So if I was checking a rudimentary version of Facebook a few times a week, say, now I'm checking an algorithmically supercharged version of Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, sorry, X, LinkedIn, Snapchat, Reddit, email, YouTube, WhatsApp and Slack several times a day. And I've been doing this for years. That Shakespearean idea that distraction is to be pulled in pieces That's how I feel all the time, but never quite grasped how bad it had gotten. Here's Maggie Jackson again.
1: And another little factoid is that when people are watching TV and using their laptop, on average, they estimate that they are switching between the two 14 times an hour. Well, in reality, they're actually doing it 240 times an hour on average. That's how much we know. Under- <laughs> yes, yes. Well, it's just so that, easy. There's not even that many
0: minutes to do that. That just, I can't wrap my head around that number. Cause I do that all the time. I watch TV either with my phone or with a laptop screen. And I definitely switch between the two and it's probably more than 14 times an hour, but 200
1: Right. Because, that, you know, that includes just the times when you're glancing at the laptop. Oh, and then you're pulled into the TV and then you're glancing into the laptop and you might be doing a little bit of work and then you're pulled away and et cetera, et cetera. We can feel it. You know, there's a science. And then there's also, as you've been pointing out, how we feel about this. We know it. We're uneasy. We are increasingly upset about this we're, we're increasingly questioning whether or not this is good for our children instead of saying this is just the way they need to be to thrive in the digital age and and it's really important to listen to that.
0: I couldn't have imagined as I sat at that internet cafe in 2007 that this would be the future but other people well they saw it coming. And then some. There's this scene in the film Minority Report where Tom Cruise's character, John Anderton, is walking through the lobby of a building. Hey, John Anderton. And all around him are holograms bombarding him with ads for different products. This film came out in 2002. Now, two decades later, one of the people who helped come up with that scene reckons that dystopia is here.
1: You're being subtly manipulated by algorithms that are watching everything you do constantly and then sending you changes in your media feed, in your diet, that are calculated to adjust you slightly to the liking of some unseen advertiser.
0: I first came across virtual reality entrepreneur Jaron Lanier speaking on the BBC in 2018. His take is more or less that you haven't lost your ability to pay attention It's been stolen from you by social media companies. In his book, 10 Arguments for Deleting Your Social Media Accounts Right Now, I know, it's an intense title, he introduces readers to the concept of bummer, B-U-M-M-E-R, which stands for behaviour of users modified and made into an empire for rent. The commodity at the heart of the empire is your attention traded by tech companies to advertisers for a tidy sum.
1: When information becomes abundant, attention becomes the scarce resource.
0: And that will create, whether we like it or not, a zero-sum competition for who's gonna get that attention. That thought process was all about how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible. We are quite literally
1: fracked for our attention.
0: The folks you heard there were James Williams and Tristan Harris, former Google employees, Sean Parker, former Facebook president, and Asa Raskin, the man credited with inventing the infinite scroll, you know, that thing that we now just do for hours a day. They are part of a growing number of Silicon Valley insiders who are warning us that our attention is being thieved. Documentaries have come out about this. The Social Dilemma springs to mind. It's a good one if you want to watch it as well as the book Stolen Focus by Johan Hari, which I also highly recommend everyone read. But here's my question, and I don't mean this flippantly, but so what? What does it matter if we lose or trade or simply give up our ability to pay attention? What impact does this have on us as individuals and as a society? What, if anything, do we stand to lose? That is coming up in episode two. Thanks for listening and hope to catch you tomorrow.
1: Listener.